We are in chapter number three, uh, and if uh, you have your workbook, uh, you, we are on page number 10, uh, at the bottom of the page, point number two. Uh, a couple of quick announcements that, uh, that I'd like to add is, remember, uh, next week, very, very important, uh, as Justin already uh, said, a very important uh, uh, time we're going to have in this church. Uh, we're going to be out of Ephesians uh, for about three weeks. Um, and the reason for that is next week, uh, me and Robert are going to uh, do some charges based on uh, the direction of the church, things to that matter. Uh, so, man, I would highly, highly ask that you, uh, that you be here for that, um, uh, just because of uh, the direction and things like that. As we all know, we're, we're, we got about another year, a little over another year and a half, maybe, actually less than that in this building uh, as we get ready to move into our permanent space. Uh, so uh, we've got to start thinking about that, start moving in that direction. Uh, so with all that being said, there's going to be some changes and some things that we do in the way we do them. Uh, not, not uh, you know, obviously, we're always going to keep everything we do biblical. Uh, so it's nothing like that, uh, but just putting some, some more emphasis on things that maybe we haven't put emphasis on uh, before uh, and, and things to that matter. The following week, uh, February 6th, I think my dates are right. Is that a Sunday? I think it is. Okay. Uh, we're going to have uh, our uh, ministry leader uh, from Malawi, Eric Sykoff. He'll be here. Uh, so we're really uh, excited about that. Um, if you've never had an opportunity to meet him or, or know a lot about what we, we do over at Malawi, um, certainly uh, you will want to be here for that. Uh, then the following week after that, We'll have the leader that we have from One Baptist Church in Malawi, Billy Wood, here. Uh, if you all know Billy Wood, I think you do. Uh, you know we're in for a treat there for sure. Uh, excited about that. That will be Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, so maybe we'll be celebrating the Kansas City Chiefs in it. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and then, huh? You think we will? Okay, good. Good. Just win tonight. That's all I care about, okay? Uh, and then um, right now, I think the plan is, unless something changes... Uh, I will be heading out to Malawi uh, February 28th through March 11th. That's the plan right now, unless something changes. Uh, so uh, we got a lot going on, uh, a lot coming up. Uh, and, uh, oh, and March 10th, we'll have uh, Pastor Gary Sauer here. Uh, and we haven't seen him in a while, uh, but we'll see him. Uh, just, you know, this whole COVID thing obviously is throwing things off. I don't know if you know what's going on in the world, but we have this thing called COVID. I don't know what is going on. But anyways, uh, he'll be here. Uh, he's one of our, uh, we, 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 he's one of our uh, missionaries that we, uh, we have helped uh, in Rochester, New York. He was a former, I guess, former pastor of mine. I don't know if that's the right word to say. Uh, but uh, at First Bible Baptist Church, uh, the church that I came from in, uh, in Rochester, Jim, Jim came from there. Chris, these guys all know him. I think my wife knows him. She was there too, I think. She was. Uh, so uh, I, I promise you, uh, you're going to love all these guys that are coming in to preach. Uh, they are all outstanding men of God uh, who definitely have a love for the word. So uh, there's going to be no uh, uh, shortcomings there for sure. All right. I think that's everything. Am I missing anything? No? That's it? Okay. All right. Let's go. Verse, uh, chapter number three. Let me, uh, let's see. Where do I want to pick up? Let me pick up, uh, 
you know what, I think I'm just going to read verse 1 and go right through verse 8 and kind of get the context. So, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and again, no, he is literally in a prison right now, uh, uh, so don't read into that more than uh, is there. Uh, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, you word, uh, and you know the Bible doesn't teach dispensations, yet Paul's teaching it right here, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. And so obviously, we've talked about this, this is a very important ministry. By the way, the mystery he's revealing here, we're all going to be held accountable to the, uh, the understanding of this, this mystery as well, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Okay? So make sure we're not just, yeah, cool, Paul, you got a mystery reveal, sounds good. Hey, let's pay attention to this mystery because it's important, as in, as all the other six are as well. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. Another very, very strong indication of different dispensations. Uh, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That, okay, so Paul, what is the mystery that you're revealing? What is this big announcement you're making? Gentiles will be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, uh, that's a very, very clear uh, 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 announcing of the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, promise that was made to Abraham that, uh, that through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He kind of goes into this a little bit more in Galatians chapter 3, and what he's talking about is, is that, that there's going to come a time when the seed, and of course that seed is Christ, Paul makes that clear in Galatians 3, was going to bless uh, the Gentiles as well as the Jew, if you will. And it says, wherefore, or whereof, excuse me, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And, 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 listen, please understand what I'm about to say. Don't, don't jump on what I'm saying and get all up in arms with it. Just, just get my point. I think the grace of God is a little more than God loves you. It's a little more than that. And I think it's important to understand that. I mean, obviously, does he love us? Well, yeah. For God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm all there. But I do think that the grace that God has given to us was given to us for a purpose. It wasn't just so that we could sit back and go, oh, by the grace of God, I am who I am and I'm good. Well, wait a minute now. That just leaves you right where you are and you have no motivation to move forward. What I think Paul's trying to get at it here is, is, hey, you know, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, <laughs> you know, hey, God has given you this grace for a purpose. And he's saying right here, given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me. And here's where you see the humility of Paul, where Paul, you know, other places in the Bible, you kind of read it and go, man, is Paul arrogant here? What's going on here? He's calling it my gospel. Like, that sounds pretty arrogant. And, you know, follow me. Like, it almost would sound arrogant if you don't understand that, that he's not being arrogant at all. Um, very much so, as you can see in this verse. He says, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. I don't know how 
far down that goes, but that's pretty far down. And he says, is this grace given? Why was this grace given? That, see, here's the purpose now. He's saying, I've been given this grace for a purpose. What's the purpose, Paul? That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Man, uh, if you want some good Bible itching your ears this morning, if I can say it that way, there's one. Unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, if we could only get to a place as a church to really understand, not all this fluff that's being passed around that isn't biblical, but if we could get to the place where we really understand what is the biblical riches that Christ has given us, I wonder, I wonder just how more and, and much more powerful we could be as an entity in these last days. Uh, and, and, and I think it's, it's important to understand that. I mean, listen, you know, the first three chapters of this book is leading up to this now. He's going to change gears in the next chapter, four. This is where we would say, you know, and I think I've told you this before, you know, understanding Paul's writings, there's, there's a, a, a real interesting little dynamic that he, that he has in all of his church epistles. And it's the first couple, two, three chapters are very doctrinal. He's, he's laying out some doctrinal charges. And then there's a place, and he does it in every book, where all of a sudden he shifts gears and he turns that doctrinal into practical. Uh, and he's going to do that starting in chapter number four. Uh, but uh, right now, he's laying down some very, very doctrinal uh, uh, applications that, uh, you know, I think, man, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, please, I, I, please, I apologize right now. I don't think I am, though. I think if, if churches would just read these first three chapters and put them in their proper context, we probably could get a lot of junk out of the church that shouldn't be here. Because Paul's really laying this thing down. What's he laying down? What he's laying down is this, this entity called the body of Christ. That's what we are. That's where we are in this dispensation of grace. We are the body of Christ. We are Christians. And as we know, he has been very, very clear, especially in chapter number two, he was very clear about the fact that this thing wasn't a replacement for something. This is a new thing. It's a new thing. And so he's just laying this thing down. And now when he gets into verse number eight, listen, I don't know about you guys, man, but if I really wanted to understand what the purpose of the church is, I probably would pay attention to verses nine through 21. Because here's where he lays it down. Here's where he, there's no questions asked. Here's what the purpose of the church is. Here is why this mystery is being revealed to us now. Uh, obviously, back in 62 AD, somewhere, in there, somewhere around there, but, but to us now. If we really want to understand what our purpose is, and we really want to understand uh, what our focus should be, well, Paul's about to tell us right now. There's no getting around it. Here we go. He's, he's going to hit it pretty good. And he talks about uh, uh, the effectual working of his power, God's power with Paul. And the question is, and I know we're rehashing things that we've already talked about, and most of us are going to go, oh, I know the answer to that by now, Frank. You've done, you've done that enough now. Well, I know, but 
I want to keep making sure we know. The question is, is when was this revealed? When was this propagated to the world? And it's very, very important that we understand that it was not propagated to the world in Acts chapter 2. It wasn't propagated until Paul came on the scene, which would have been at minimum Acts chapter 9. If you just stop and actually really pay attention to it and just read the way it's written, there's no way you could get around that. There's no way you could go, oh man, no, 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 no. Peter and John and all those guys, they knew that. And they knew all of this in Acts chapter 2. No, they didn't. They had no idea. The cross for them at that moment meant something different. They were Jews. They, they had the recognition of the fact they had just crucified the Messiah. The one that the Bible promised, that Scripture promised, would come to sit on the throne of David. Those men understood they crucified him. And that was their message. Because they were looking for a physical kingdom. That's why I said there's a difference between what happened at the cross and by the cross. Something different's about to change now. There is a transition taking place where the message was very, very physical. Jesus, the king, being crucified on the cross, where uh, it was for remission of sin. Uh, now, Paul comes on the table. Uh, Jesus comes to him uh, on that Damascus road and says, you are going to suffer great many things for me. And I've got something for you that's just a little bit different. We're about to extend this thing to the Gentiles. And Paul's message is just a little bit different. We don't preach for remission of sin. We preach forgiveness of sin. And that is a different thing. We don't preach the kingdom of heaven. We preach the kingdom of God. And that is a different thing. And if you don't quite understand why that's different, I would implore you, you need to understand it. Because it does matter. There's a lot of stuff that we could avoid if we did understand it. How do the apostles know for sure the Paul was legit in what he was doing, right? Uh, Acts 15, 12, it says, And all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Remember, the scriptures in the New Testament at this point, right? By the time Paul comes on the scene, well, was 1 Corinthians written yet? Second Corinthians, Romans, any, I mean, no. None of these books are written. None of these books are in circulation yet. I would say by the time we get to Acts 15, uh, for sure you got Matthew. For sure you got James. After that, uh, gosh, uh, I think now it starts to get into that area of, uh, well, somewhere around here these epistles get, get written. So, so the question is, here you got this, this, this Jew who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, 
who, who, man, he's running around killing those that call the name of Christ. He, he's, he wants nothing to do with this. He's all about uh, uh, jailing them, killing them, whatever. He's completely on the other side of the board. And then all of a sudden, man, he just flipped teams. Like, and when I say flip teams, like we're talking seriously flip teams. Like, wow, he was all against, now he is all for, and, 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 and this is a big deal. So, so if you're a Jew during that time, right, and you're going, wait a minute, weren't you the guy that was killing us? You want me to listen to you? Like, what are you, well, who are you? You have to understand, even the apostles had trepidation about him. Even they did. And so you have to understand that. It's, it's important to kind of put yourself there. It's not like they were looking back going, well, I got, you know, I, I got Romans. I got Paul's heart. They didn't have Romans yet. You know, it's not like they could sit there. So, so the point that I'm trying to make is what, how could God and what would God do to quote unquote prove that this person is a man of God. We have to ask those same questions today. We really do. And, and by the way, the answers to that question is no different today than it was then. What will God do to prove that this is of God? Now, it's a little bit different the way he does it today, because today we do have written scripture where they didn't. Okay, but the, 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 the ultimate outcome is no different. And what I mean by that is, listen, if a man of God is preaching uh, or saying something from the, the, from, 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 uh, the perspective of, of, and God said, can I just help you? God didn't say it. God has nothing to do with it. God has no thing for it unless it's right here. If it's not right here, I'd be really, really cautious uh, if you think God said it. And that's why I say, hey, man, some of the stuff that's going on up in churches today, we got to be careful of it, man. It's dangerous. It is. And, and, and that's sad. And, and I'm certainly not advocating for it or anything of that matter or, or, or whatnot, but, but we got to be careful. So what did God do? During that time, that would be very, very important to proving that Paul wasn't just some whack job, that this was actually coming from God. Well, we know from Scripture that the Jews require a sign. That's what they want. Jews want a sign. Hey, we want to know that this came from God. That this is actually from God. So how did God prove Moses? Because remember, Moses came up to those guys, the, 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 the tribes of Israel, and he's like, ah, I'm from God. God told me to come to you. And they're like, who are you? Prove it to us. And that's when he showed them the withered hand, did the snake thing, you know, the snake trick and all that good stuff, right? Because that's what the Jews need. They need to see a sign. And so therefore, as this transition is taking place, because we don't have Scripture written down at this point, 
what's God doing through the apostles and now through the apostle Paul. He's giving them signs. The Holy Spirit, I'm on page 11, gave them miraculous power to prove their ministry. Do we need this power today? And this is a question I'm asking. Or has the foundation been laid? Do I need to see God's working power today to believe that it came from God? I don't because I'm a Gentile. And Gentiles require knowledge. What I need, what I need is all right here. This is all I need to prove that it's from God. And man, uh, you know, as a former borderline atheist, that would have been a real hard sell for me 20 years ago. That would have been a real hard sell for me. But God doesn't work based on me. God works based on him. It's either I'm going to fall in line with him, he doesn't fall in line with me. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? Like, he has no, God's not up there sitting there going, okay, well, you know, uh, Frank, I got you, man. Okay, let me, let me fall in line with how you think. No, no, that's not the way it works. We need to fall in line the way he thinks. And by the way, if you do, <laughs> I think Jesus says something like this, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you'll start to be able to understand, and we'll be able to start to understand 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul said this, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men were among you for your sake. Uh, and, and, and he goes on to say in the next chapter of 1 Thessalonians, he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which you have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And, and you know, where, what's going on there? Well, again, look at this Ephesian passage in verse 8. It says, unto me who am le less... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 7, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Romans 15, 19, he says, Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout in Achillerium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Listen, the point uh, that I'm trying to make here that I don't want to lose uh, any... Uh, uh, understanding of is that Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 8, the way God worked was different. He needed to use signs and wonders. He needed to use that ministry to the apostles because scripture hadn't been written yet. How, were, how was anybody to know that this was really actually of God that was being revealed. Because this was life-changing. This was big. Something big was going on. I mean, if you're a Jew at that time, you're going, oh, wait a minute. This is completely against everything I know. I mean, Paul was radical what he was bringing to the table. See, what Paul was emphasizing was something a Jew would not have fully understood. They couldn't. And what's that? 
See, they were caught up in, did we just crucify the Messiah or not? Who, who did we put on that cross? Did we put just some crazy man that is claiming to be something, which many of them believed? Or did we just put the king of Israel on the cross? What, what one did we do? Paul comes along and he says, don't worry about any of that. <laughs> okay, let's not worry about that right now. We're in a different dispensation. That's not important right now. What's important right now is the blood that was spilled on that cross saves you from your sin. That's a radically different message. That's not something you'll find in the Old Testament jumping out at you. It's there. God, God is prophesying that the day would come, and you're going to see it, obviously, with Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover. And you're going to see it with Isaiah 53 and all those things. I, I'm not saying it's not there. What I'm saying is the Jew just would not have understood that. That's not what they were looking for is someone to be a savior from their sins. What they were looking for is someone to save them from Rome. Those are, those are different things. Do you understand? Paul comes on the scene and all of a sudden, whoa, the world gets turned upside down, I think is the way the Bible says it. Something changes. The world's getting turned upside down. Paul's bringing in a completely different radical message. And how is he, what is God going to use to prove that what he's propagating is true? The Jew needed to get that. The Jew needed to understand that. And that is what happened in Acts chapter 2. That is what, what started this whole thing off and extended to Paul. That, that, and that was the purpose. It was to convince the Jew that Jesus was the Messiah. But don't worry about the whole him sitting on the throne thing right now. Paul never negates that. He never says that the time isn't coming where that's going to happen. I mean, Romans 11, he's very clear about that. He never said that. What he did say was, but for right now, the program's a little different. We got to put our emphasis and our focus on something different. He, what he died on that cross for is beyond your wildest imaginations. What, he died on that cross to save you. From your sin. He shed his blood so that it could cover your sin and not just cover it, but cast it as far as the east is from the west and it will be remembered no more. Amen. This is no remission and it can come back. No, this is permanent forgiveness. That's a big deal. And all of us in this church today should say, amen. Because without it, I think we all have a pretty good understanding of where our destiny would be. And listen, kind of what we've been emphasizing for the last month or so, where we got to get to the place, as Paul did, we got to get to the place to remember what we were. I mean, if we went back to Ephesians chapter 2, right, we just talked about this on Wednesday. We, if, we just, if we went back to Ephesians chapter 2 and we looked at those first three or four verses, he's reminding us what we were. We were children of disobedience. 
We, we, were, we were following after the course of this world. We were dead in our sin. We had no access. We had no right. We had no anything that had anything to do with God's grace, God's blessings, God's mercy. We had absolutely zero access to that. Paul understood that. Paul, time and time again, brings us back to what he was and reminds us, if I can say it my way, I am the scum of scums. I am not worthy of any of... And we look at that and go, the Apostle Paul said that? Like, my gosh, he's the Apostle Paul, come on. No, no, he knew what he was. He knew he didn't deserve any of this. And he knew that because the Lord gave him such grace, he was not going to squander that. Because he knew that everybody else around him also was what he was. And that everybody else around him needed Jesus just like Paul did. And he went off on one of the greatest missionary journeys the world has ever seen, three times. He, 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 he did not, the Bible says it like this, he hazarded his life. He did not care what the consequences were. He just knew that in this life, as, as Robert kind of alluded to pretty well on Thursday night, the treasures of this life mean nothing. I'm going to take none of that with me when I die. When I die, they are not going to pull a hearse behind me and put all my stuff at my grave. That's not what's going to happen. They're going to take all my stuff, and the government's going to come and take it. Do you understand? Oh, well, maybe my wife might get some of it. That would be good. But do but, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, and, and by the way, call me crazy. I might be wrong about this, so you, you guys can check me on this. But as I'm standing at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be going, man, hope my house is okay. Man, I hope my car is still working. I hope, they, I hope they got gas in the car. Man, I hope there's food on the table tonight. I'm, for some reason, I have a, I have a strong feeling that's not going to be what I'm going to be worried about at that point. What do you all think? I don't think that's what we're going to be worried about. You say, well, hey, man, you're saved. You're good. You got nothing to worry about. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what the Bible says? And I'm not saying, quote, unquote, worry about. What I am saying, though, is it's pointed out a man wants to die. After this, the judgment. You're now, God is going to bring you before his throne. And, and, and I just really want you to stop and think about this as much as you can. I don't mean to say this from a disrespectful stance or, or, or to try to scare you or, or anything like that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I mean, do with it what you want. But you're going to stand before the throne. And, and you're going to get judged. Because all judgment has been given to the Son. And you're going to get judged. By the very one that you're claiming to love and follow today. And he's going to judge you 
according to what you did in your life. No. Do y'all hear what I just said? Let me emphasize that. No. He's going to judge you according to what you did with his life. And that changes everything if you really understand it. And Paul understood it. He understood. And listen, that is not a... And if you really think about that from its right perspective, that is not a... I'm in trouble. What that is is, okay, the Lord has given me something. I have access to something. And man, if I would just tap into what he's given to me, wow, how great that could be. What a life I could have. Wouldn't it be great not to worry about death and suffering? Wouldn't it be great to not worry about all this junk that's going on in the world and not matter because it doesn't matter anyways? Wouldn't it be great to look at it and go, it's in the Bible, God said this was going to happen. Let it happen. In the words of Paul McCartney, let it be. Let it be. It is what it is, man. I know that we are going to the course of what God has in his book. He said this was going to happen. Listen, the Antichrist is going to rise. He is going to take control of the world at some point. It's going to happen. So be it. All I know is the Lord is in control. And he's always been in control. And he's got me right now. He's in control. Do you understand how lifting that could be if you really understand that? If we really got to the place where not only that we understood it, but we actually believed it? Because Paul did. Do you realize what they did to that man? Do you realize the suffering that Paul went through? I mean, he, I mean, he says it right there, right? What is it, 1 Corinthians 8, I think? Somewhere around there, 9, somewhere around there. I got beat 40 times. I mean, they took me out back. They, but these guys whipped me. They, they, I had to get dropped down from the city because they were chasing me to kill me. I got shipwrecked three times, and I got bit by a viper. Didn't you know that? I mean, a viper done bit me. Like, dang, I had some stuff happen to me. But you know what? I count it all. Who cares? Christ got his glory through me. That's all that mattered. That's all that mattered. Christ got his glory through me. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 part of me, and I know what I'm about to say is doctrinally, we could do some things with this. I don't know how the judgment scene thinks is going to go down. I don't know if we all are there at the same time or how. Part of me hopes that I'm kind of there watching Paul's judgment. I want to see how that goes down, man. But then part of me goes, well, no, maybe I don't want to see how that goes down because I'm coming up next. <laughs> like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, but listen, Paul understood this. He understood the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I'm just trying to tell us, guys and gals, get to that place where you understand the unsearchable riches of Christ. Pastor, what are they? We've been talking about them since Ephesians chapter 1. I got not, if somebody would to, to turn that, uh, is it still there or do we erase it? It's not there anymore. Turn to chapter 1 and look at the blessings that God has given to us through the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
we could start right there. And I think we're in a good place. And Paul emphasizes the fact they are unsearchable. Amen? Yeah. Listen, all miracles that are performed in the Bible are a testament that the man that was sent from God had a message to be heard and gave assurance to believe in it. Um, Deuteronomy 18? Is that... Uh, we, we just did Deuteronomy. That's why I'm looking at you. Is it Deuteronomy 18 where, he, where, where God lays out the, the, the requirements of a prophet? Is it Deuteronomy 18? Where, where God, God puts this in, in print, man. He says, listen, if, if a man of God comes and states something that's going to happen and it happens the way the man of God said it was going to happen, then, then uh, you know, the way the word of God said it was going to happen, then, then that's a man you want to pay attention to. However, if the man of God comes and says something and he doesn't, he's a liar. I know we would, we would not do this today. I'm not condoning this at all. But do know, the Old Testament says, stone him. Kill him. He, he is a false prophet. I'm not advocating you do that today. I think we are past the, the law. Uh, I, I'm with you there. But, but I think there's an application there that you know, all Scripture is written for our learning. Like, just because somebody stands at a pulpit, myself and Robert included, does not mean they are a man of God. If the words that are coming out of my mouth are not backed up by this book, then what am I? And we got to be noted. We got, you know, I do think there's that application of Acts 17.11. Be Bereans, man. You hear me? That's great, man. That's good. Don't just believe everything I said because I said it. Go back to the scriptures and make sure those things are so. And then once you go back to the scriptures to make sure those things are so, then can I encourage you on something? Can I exhort you on something? Do it. Don't just be a hearer. Do it. Why? Because it wasn't Pastor Frank who told you to do it or not to do it. It was God who told you. He's the one that laid that principle down. Paul understood that, man. He understood that very, very much so. And, and, and the usage of miracles during that time was for a purpose. It was to prove that Paul and the rest of the apostles, for that matter, were men of God. It was the way God was announcing the transition uh, that was now taking place. In the Old Testament, all miracles verified God building his kingdom for Israel. I mean, once you get to chapter 12 of Genesis, right on through the rest of the Old Testament, you do know that God centers his whole message on Israel, right? Like, they become the epicenter of it all. And by the way, I think it would be fair to say, they're still the epicenter of it all. Keep your eyes on Israel. Because Israel is the way God is going to move forward in his prophetic line. 
You want to know what's coming next? Just watch what's going on in Israel, and you're going to have a good idea. Because God's not done with Israel. Romans 11 is very clear on that. He ain't done with them, okay? We are finishing up, I believe, we are finishing up this dispensation of grace. And, and a trumpet's going to sound here at some point. I don't know when. I'm not a prophet. I have no idea when God's going to sound it. What I am telling you is we're right around that 2,000-year mark. That's pretty close. And there's a lot of things happening. You know, Matthew 16, Jesus called out the Pharisees for not knowing the signs of the times. You can, you, can, you, can, you can look at the weather and know what's about to happen, but man, you just can't pay attention to the signs of the times and see that now is a time that I was supposed to be here. And I would encourage all of us, hey, we should be paying attention to the signs. And we should be seeing that that, that lady, that, that lady is in labor right now. And the birth pangs are starting to get pretty heavy. The birth's about to come. The kid is about to see light. The day of the Lord's coming. I mean, you know, I'm just throwing out some, 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 some similitudes there to help you out there. Like, it's coming. Like, we're getting close. But I don't know when. All I can say is, what are you doing with the time you have now? It's all you can do. That's all you can do is do with what we have now. In the New Testament, all miracles verified God building his kingdom for Gentiles. When the New Testament is closed, is there anything more to reveal? And there's a good question for all those that stand up and claim to be prophets today. Or all those that stand up and claim to be apostles today. And all those that stand up and claim all that stuff. My question is, when God finished the book of Revelation, was there anything more to reveal? I mean, he seems pretty clear that there's not. I mean, because God's word says right there in, in, in Revelation 22, if any add to my word or take from my word, I, mean, I don't know. Here's my, here's my next question. What else would God have to reveal? Like, we got everything we need. I don't see how we would need anything else. The only way we would need anything else is if you were trying to get money out of my pocketbook to fill your pocketbook. Or if I was trying to get you to do something that I couldn't find in Scripture. Well, then, yeah, then we're going to need something else. I would highly go back to Deuteronomy 18 again and go, be careful of that. That's danger right there. That's danger right there. He calls himself the least of all saints. He is least because he persecuted the church. And I've, I've given you a bunch of scripture to, 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 to show you where he talks about that. Galatians 1.13, he says, How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God, and I wasted it. He, he goes on to say, but that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith was once he destroyed. See, that's, this was the response that was coming from going, who's this guy? This guy was persecuting us. Now he's preaching the faith he once destroyed. There had to be something to verify. Uh, Acts 26, 9, he says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I persecuted them, even unto strange cities. Uh, he is the least, but he's not behind any. Uh, look what he says in 2 Corinthians 11.5, For I suppose I was not 
a whip behind the very chiefest apostles. He goes on to say, I'm becoming a fool and glorying. I, ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Listen, there was no lack of humility with Paul. You know, you stop and you think about it and you go, man, Paul could have been one arrogant dude. He got something. The, 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 there were 11 left now, obviously. Judas had killed himself. Those 11 apostles walked with Jesus while he was here. While he was here. Like, they intimately knew him. You would think, like I said last week, you look at John and you go, my gosh, you would think if God was going to do anything the way he did what, what he was, getting, uh, uh, was doing with Paul, he would have done it with John. I mean, John done put his head on the very heartbeat of God. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, the scripture was out of the way to say that. He must not have loved the other ones. Well, no, he did love the other ones. There was something about John, though. John was the only one that went to the cross. All the other ones scattered. What about Paul? We don't know, but I mean, was Paul there too? Was Paul there laughing at the man on the cross? Like, why is Paul getting this great responsibility? I would submit to you, I could be wrong about this, but I would submit to you, God knows what he's doing. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he knew that the job that he needed to get done he needed someone that was going to be zealous and not worry about a thing and go for it. And he picked the right man. And I think history shows he did. Is that to say John couldn't have? I'm not saying John couldn't have. All I'm saying is God picked Paul. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. And listen, and listen, can I say it this way? God picked you too. Are you cool with that? You see what God did with Paul? Oh, man, I'm no Apostle Paul. No, you're not. You know what you are? You're the same person, and you have the same person in you as Paul had. Is the Holy Ghost any less powerful in you than it was in Paul? And what I would say is, if we would ever come to the conclusion that maybe it is, I would strongly suggest it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's our lack of yielding is the problem. It's not that we don't have that ability. You know, what have I, what have I said around here many times? Once you say I can't, you've thrown the Bible out the door, man. What do you mean you can't? The God of this universe is living inside of you and you can't? Oh, man, Pastor, you know, I, I just can't do that. Why can't you do that? Well, that just, that just wasn't my calling. So what you're saying to me is everybody else was called to be ambassadors. Everybody else was called to be ministers of reconciliation, but you weren't. Is that what you're telling me? Prove that. No, you can. We all can. And we all as Paul so eloquently said in Romans 12, I beseech you, 
by the mercies of God. We all should present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We all should be about the work of the Lord because that is your purpose. And you might go, I don't know if that's my purpose. Well, you remember what I just said, if you want to know what your purpose is? Read what? Ephesians 3, 8 through 21. Who's he writing to here? Is he writing to the pastor? Is he writing to the very knowledgeable, strong Christian? He certainly wants us to get there and mature into that, but is that who he's writing to at, the, at that moment? No. He's writing to all of us, saying, hey, this is your purpose. This is what you should do. Let's just start with the fact there's no way you're ever going to out-purpose God. There is unsearchable riches that God has for us all. And to that, I would say, amen, amen. And to that, I would say, we need to make sure that we have a humility about this. Now, certainly, there's the application of, as Jude said, that we need to earnestly contend for the faith that was, was given to the saints. Uh, no doubt about it, but how you earnestly contend matters. It does matter. You know, I think one of the dangers, and we've been talking about this, and we've been trying to emphasize this, we are a very doctrinally sound church. I believe that. I believe that we are. I believe that we have put the emphasis on Scripture being the authority in everything. I believe we have done that. Now, now for, for a lot of people, that's not what they're looking for. And I, I'm not, I'm just saying it's true. This is not what they're looking for. You know, they're looking for the uplifting message that's going to make them feel good and to make them go out to church and feel like, you know, that was a good day. You know, but the problem is two days later, they're doing the same thing they were doing before they walked in the church. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen right here too, because it can. Okay. Doctrinal teaching has its place. Uh, I don't think you could get out of 1 Timothy without realizing the importance of doctrinal teaching. Where I think maybe as your pastor, I may have failed you, practical teaching also has its place. We can't just be a bunch of people who know it all. I'm glad you know it, but do you know the importance of why you know that? And do we turn to other people and go, you believe in speaking in tongues? You're an idiot. What's wrong with you? Didn't you ever read Acts chapter 2, you moron? Put it in its right application. Let's go. Be careful, because you ain't going to win nobody that way. That ain't going to... Could I, could I suggest to you, that's not even worthy of having the conversation with them at that point. Who cares? Let's worry about that later. Let's get to the basics and principles. Hey, I just want to know, man, are you a Christian? Yeah, I love God. Oh, man, that's awesome, man. Hey, could you tell me your testimony? Could you, could you? And listen, shut your mouth and listen to what they say because people will reveal a lot of information. And just because they may say something that's wrong 
And you could go, man, I, that is wrong. I, that don't mean you need to jump down their throat right then and there and say, oh, that ain't the way you get saved. You ain't saved, man. What's wrong with you? Didn't you ever read this gospel in 1 Corinthians 15? Come on. No. How about you get to know the person? How about you love the person? Okay, yes, we're going to have to work on that. We're going to have to talk to them about that at some point. But man, let's build the relationship with them first. Let them know that you actually do care and love them. Isn't that what Paul did? Because that's what Paul did. Man, you know, there's two sides of the fence in the church today. There really is. There are those that are just so gung-ho about people getting saved. They don't care what the message is. They just want to count numbers. 3,000 people got saved in church today. Amen. And then next week, not a person or one of those people are in church anymore. Wow, the Holy Ghost really moved in them. Okay. Bow your head. Say a prayer. Let's go. They haven't a clue what they're praying. They have no idea that they're sinners. They have no idea they need to repent. They've done none of that stuff, but yet they're saved because the pastor at the pulpit said it. Well, I think that's wrong. I don't think that's right. Call me wrong if I am. Maybe I am. I just don't think that's right. I don't think that's biblical. But there's the other side of the fence too. And we need to be careful that we don't do this is what I just said. Don't be a know-it-all. People don't like know-it-alls. Don't be a, an attacker. Don't feel like you need to go on the attack. Now, here's what I'm going to say. However, if somebody goes on the attack with you, don't be afraid to back down either. Because Jesus never did. He knew when he was talking to a religious know-it-all. And he knew when he was talking to a sinner. And the way he talked to a sinner was way different than he talked to a religious know-it-all. You understand? And what I want us to know is, but don't let any of that stop you from what you're supposed to be doing. There is a lost and dying world out there that don't know Jesus. And just because they go to church, just because they go to this church, doesn't mean they really know Jesus. We've got to love them enough to care about them enough to help them understand their soul matters that much. Because I can promise you this, whether that soul matters to you or not, the one you call your Lord it matters to him a whole lot. Yeah. A whole lot. I mean, let's just make this simple. In a doctrinally sound church, we can kind of make things sound difficult if we're not careful. Let's get back to the simplicity of this. God loves the sinner. You hear how I said, how I said that? Did you hear how I said that? God loves the sinner. God doesn't love the sin. God doesn't love you just because uh, for who you are. No. Where's that in Scripture? God never said nothing like that. God loved you even despite the fact that you were a sinner. God commended his love toward you. Okay. He doesn't love the sin, but he loves the sinner. We don't condone the sin. But 
But we also are never going to reach somebody going, man, you're a homosexual? Don't you know God hates that? Don't you know he's going to kill you for that? What's wrong with you, you moron? You can't do that. You ain't going to win anybody like that. That ain't going to win the way this is going to go. And but I would submit to you, do you think God's okay with adultery? Anybody want to raise their hand and go, yeah, I think he's okay with that. No, obviously not. He's not cool with that. That is not a good thing. He's very, very clear in Scripture. That's bad. That's bad. To the point in the Old Testament, do you know what you did to an adulterer? You stoned him. Okay? Again, I'm not condoning that today. Okay, I'm not condoning. But what I'm saying is, but is, did you see how Jesus dealt with the adulterer? This? Adulteress? How did he deal with them? First of all, how did he deal with all those that wanted to stone her? So be it, man. Stoner, you're right. The Old Testament says to stoner. Stoner, whoever doesn't have any sin, throw the first stone. Go ahead. Go ahead. See, while we're calling other people out for their sin, we're forgetting to look in the mirror and realize that we have sin too. And yes, God does not condone adultery. But you know what else God doesn't condone? A whole lot of things we do, if we're just honest with ourselves. We do them too, man. We just, that one's an easy one to call out because we saw it. Everybody saw it. Dude, you committed adultery against your wife, man. We saw it. So let's just jump down that dude's throat, man. Let's get on him because that was wrong. Okay, but what about the little things in the hidden that, that, that isn't shown to everybody because you're really good at playing church? that you're doing while you're at home. That maybe I don't see it, but God does. You see what I'm saying? But that's not the way we do this, man. That's not the way Paul did it. Be humble. Know what you are capable of doing without the Spirit's work in you. And let me just say this. That's not good. That's bad. That's why Paul continuously tells us to walk in the Spirit. Because if we don't, we are going to fulfill the lust of our flesh. And listen, if we're just being honest, we're really good at pointing the finger at somebody else. You see what Ray did? <laughs> Dude, he's been in our church for this long and that's what he did? Like, come on, man. We, you, 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 Pastor, you need to go talk to Ray because that ain't right. Okay, but before I go talk to Ray, can I talk to you about something? Well, this isn't about me. Well, why not? You were so quick to point the finger at him because I'm seeing something in your life too that I think needs to be brought to your attention. Are you okay with that? Well, well yeah, yeah. you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying that you don't point out the sin, but you better make sure, number one, you do it the right way. Did Jesus ever say to that lady, Oh, don't worry, honey. You're, you're a good sinner. Don't worry. Is that what he said? No. What he said is, sin no more. It's not like he didn't point it out. He did. He did. However, the way he did it was the right way. And I would just suggest to all of us, let's follow the way the master did it. Because he seems to know what he was doing. And it seemed to work. And I bet you it'll work for us too. Paul 
had a lack of humility. He was enabled by a bar set so low, people think they uh, can reach it. Uh, look at uh, the fill in the blank here, just so we can kind of get through this. This is a high calling. Understanding the magnitude of it uh, will set the bar where it should be. Number one, we need to understand how high he is so that we can then, in return, understand how low we are. Never, never, never flip that bill because it'll never be right. You, I like uh, Pastor Robert did a uh, uh, universe uh, message, I don't know, maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago, where he was just kind of putting things in perspective of what we are in this universe and how we're a speck of dust and, man, just how really low we are. <laughs> if you really stop and you think about it, and we really are, we're just, I hate to borrow a song from Kansas, we are literally just dust in the wind. I mean, that's all we are, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's all we are. And we need to understand that. We're just, we're just a speck. That's all we are. I mean, gosh, isn't it crazy to think about how the God of this universe can look down and know who you are? Do you understand the privilege? He knows you. He knows, you know what I'm going to say, your name. You want to just sing a song, he knows my name? He knows your name. He knows who you are. Of all the people in the world, seven billion? If you know him and he knows you, he knows you. Wow. What a privilege. What a privilege that he knows us. Finally, letter C, kingdom riches were prophesied to Israel. And I gave you a bunch of verses for you to, to kind of go look and see that. But this is a kingdom position given to Israel. And we need to make sure we understand the difference of what was given to Israel and what was given to the Gentile. Here's a real easy, simple way to get that figured out. Where it's just, listen, if it's a physical thing, Israel. If it's a spiritual thing, Gentile. Real easy. Did, did, did God give us the land of Israel? No. No. So why are people fighting over it? Why were the Crusades fought over it? What, what, millions of people died for no reason. It wasn't ours anyways. It's always been Israel's. Why are we arguing over that? It's not ours. Finally, on page 13, about uh, halfway down, well, the riches of the kingdom that the nation of Israel will receive is what the tribulation period's all about. The, the, the seven-year tribulation is about God turning his attention back on Israel. It has nothing to do with us. Because in the end, when God returns, the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and he goes through his, his, his uh, 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 and by the way, I think Amos is pretty cool because Amos shows you the direction that Jesus will take when he returns. 
Uh, I know a lot of people think that Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem. Uh, no, that is incorrect. Jesus is going to return to Edom first, and he's going to have a, a, a march that he's going to take to Israel. Now, will he finally put his feet on planet Earth in Jerusalem, on Mount of Olives? Yes. And that's when, oh boy, uh, when he puts his feet down, we're going to know the Lord put his feet down, okay? Because things are going to move, man. The mountains are going to move, and we're going to know the Lord Jesus put his feet down. But when he returns on that horse, that horse is coming to eat him first, okay? Uh, and there's, there's a purpose for that. And you go, well, who cares? What is well, because who cares is because he's coming back to get the Israelites that are over there in Petra, in Basra, because he's turning his attention back on them, and he's coming to rescue them, as uh, uh, Hosea 5, 15, 6, 1 through 3 states. And he's going to come back and he's going to do the thing that the Bible promised he would do in 1 Samuel 7. And you want to know what that is? The king of David is going to sit on that throne. And he's going to be the king over the entire earth. And he's going to rule and reign from Israel, from Jerusalem, on the throne, all physical nothing to do with us. Yeah, it has everything. No, it doesn't. Listen. We're going to be behind him on white horses. And you want to know what's crazy about the whole thing is? Shutting our mouth just like we should. He don't need us. He ain't going to need us. We get to experience that glory moment. We get the crowns on his head were put there by you and me as we earned them now. How about that? How about that? And as the Lord Jesus, could you just imagine the clouds peeling back? And at that point, the light of the earth will be very dark because the sun and moon will not be giving its light. The moon will be blood right. The, 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 the kingdoms of the beast will be in darkness. And when those clouds peel back and the light of the Lord shines from heaven and his glory, the whole world's going to see it. Does that send chills up your back? Because it should. The whole world, and we get a back seat to that, man. And he's going to return, and he's going to put and set everything right that was wrong. And he is going to sit on that throne just like the Bible said he was. But don't put him on that throne until he's ready to come take it. Our job right now is to get as many people behind him as we can. That's our job right now. Our job is to get as many people behind him as we can. Because can you even imagine? I mean, listen, I know I might be over... I don't. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But could you imagine? All the glory he's getting on that day is magnified by all the people behind him. And all the crowns on his head is magnified by how many crowns? And the more people, the more crowns. And the more glory, 
to more people. I don't know if I'm overemphasizing that or not. I could be completely wrong about that. I don't know. Sounds good. Good preaching. I'll, I'll work with it. I think it's possible. I think there's something to be said about it. Not that we could ever give him more glory, but he could get more glory from us. Yeah? Just like Paul. We have a job to do. We have work to be done. And we can do all the stuff that's all fluff. We can have all these ministries to help people with this and help people with that. And I ain't saying they're bad, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing some of that stuff. And I'm, I'm not downing any of that. What I am saying, though, is never, ever, ever allow anything we do, ministry-wise or otherwise, be any short of the fact that there are two things eternal. And that is the Word of God and the souls of men. And if we aren't always full out for that, we're playing church. And I don't want to play church. And if we've played church up to this point, I don't want to play church anymore. We need to be about His glory. We need to be about His Word. And we need to love people like He does. I didn't say love the sin. I said love the people. Amen? Paul did. Paul did. And I say, so should we. All right, so where does that put us in our workbook? What did you say? D. D. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think we could probably pick up there next week. Oh, no, three weeks from now. I don't know. The Lord will return by the time we get back into it, and I'm okay with that. How about you? Okay, let's, uh, let's pray, and uh, we can uh, dismiss.